and the entire service sermon time was uh, given to listening to the different sounds of a buzzer that would indicate what different people were going to do for different kinds of emergencies. And as a visitor, it was kind of like two thumbs down that morning. This morning, if you are visiting, it's not going to be quite as bad. Um, but we are going to do a little bit of housekeeping, uh, things specific to the Billings congregation. And my encouragement to you is as you look at this, there are two points of application. Um, one, I think any of the things we talk about will be personally applicable to you in your life. Um, and I think also they can be helpful things for us as congregations. Uh, so like most summer days in Coleman, Texas, um, there was a heat advisory. And a family of four didn't have any air conditioning inside, so they're sitting out on the front porch. And it was mom and dad and their adult son and his wife sitting out there on the porch. And dad says, you know, we should drive up to Abilene, go grab lunch in the cafeteria, it's air conditioned, and then come back. Mom says, well, yeah, I'm happy to do that if that's what we want to do. Son says, sure, I'm game to go. And daughter-in-law says, all right, let's go. And so they all pile in the car drive 50 miles to Abilene, Texas, eat in the university cafeteria, and drive home. And on the way home, Dad says, I can't believe we just drove all the way from Coleman, Texas, to Abilene just to eat in a university cafeteria. And Mom said, well, I only went because I thought you wanted to go. And Son said, well, I went because I thought both of you guys wanted to go. And Daughter-in-law said, I only went because I thought all the rest of y'all wanted to go. That story is the basis of what is called the Abilene Paradox. The Abilene Paradox is somehow how groups of people manage to do something as a group that individually, none of them individually wanted to do. And you'll find if you live very long, you will encounter certain kinds of Abilene Paradoxes. And it happens because people are not willing to express openly and honestly what they think and feel. Instead, they guess and assume what you might think and feel about something, and then they cater their answer to it. Because sometimes it can be difficult, can't it? Especially if you think everybody's thinking one way to say, here's really what I think. Here's really how I feel about this. And so it's easy to get into an Abilene complex because we are sometimes not willing to have open and honest conversations because sometimes we just don't want to have difficult conversations. As a congregation, we're going to be entering into a series um, over the next several months of having some open and honest and maybe even sometimes difficult conversations about what God has in store for this congregation, God's plans and purposes for us as a body. The elders sent out an email uh, last week and kind of gave a, a general introduction. And I want to give a little bit more specific introduction to make sure that everyone's on the same page about what we're really going to be doing in this process. And the process really is going to help us answer three questions. And they're really fairly simple questions. The first is about identity. Who are we? What do we value? And what is most important to us as a church body? The second thing is about purpose. Why do we exist as a church? What is our primary purpose? And number three, process. How will we do it? How will we go about embracing our congregational identity and our God-given purpose. For those of you who are members here, you will probably remember back April 1st through 3rd, Scott Laird came in and did a healthy church consultation with us. And as a follow-up, he sent a letter that was distributed to the congregation and just a couple of the observations he made. There's a strong desire to recognize and live out the mission God is calling the church to accomplish. However, 
At this point, there is no clear mission that resonates with the entire church. In other words, if we were to ask the question, where do we want to go? Some would say we we should go here, and some would say we should go here, and some would say we should go here. And if you've ever been in a relationship where everybody's trying to go different directions, it doesn't always work very well, does it? The second thing that Scott said in his feedback is that there are many ministries, but the sheer number may make it difficult to discern an overall congregational direction. And so the process we're going to be going through over the next few months is going to um, help us to kind of discern a little bit about what that congregational direction is. Um, And so what I want to be sure that we're familiar with this morning is some of the the phrases and terms we're going to be using over the next few months. Uh, Mission, mission statement, vision, vision statement, and vision path. And on your paper, you will see some of the descriptions about exactly how that lays out. But this morning, it's just those three concepts I want to make sure that we're all on the same page about. So let's start with mission and mission statement. Our foundational assumption, and I hope you agree with this, is that God has a purpose or a mission for the church. That that the church actually exists for a reason and that God has a desire for what he has intended for the church. And so mission simply answers the question, what is the purpose for which we exist? And then once we've discerned an answer to that question, then we're going to put that together in a statement. The statement then is the mission statement. Mission statement is what is taking the general understanding about God's intention for the church and putting it in a way that for us is helpful and memorable. So we have a task here, and the task has two parts as a church. We're going to, number one, we're going to discern the mission, and then we simply have to be faithful to the mission. And the process is going to involve... Um, biblical discernment. Biblical in the sense that we know that the mission of God is communicated most clearly in the Bible. So if we want to know what God's plan is for the church, we want to know what God's purpose is for the church, we're going to do it in a way that is biblical as we search the scriptures to help give us a direction and a sense of exactly what God has in store for the church. But it is biblical and involves discernment. Discernment meaning sorting and weighing and measuring the value of things. Because discernment is this process of recognizing there there are certain weights and values that we find in Scripture. I'm going to give just two examples. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. Uh, He is later going to talk about the death and the burial, the resurrection, and then the appearances of Jesus. But he calls these matters of first importance, which means Paul has just been discerning. Of the things I've passed on to, of the things I've taught, there are certain things that are most important. And so that is a discernment decision as we weigh all the things that are communicated in Scripture. Another example, this is of Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, when speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says that they have neglected the more important matters of the law. And so that is a discernment statement that there are weightier or more important matters. And if you spend your time on the less important things, that might cause you to be imbalanced. So identifying the mission for the church involves biblical discernment. And the goal is to identify what God says is central or most important for his purposes for the church. Now, some of you might be thinking... Oh, Craig, sounds like we're going to make this way more complicated than it is because I can, in just a couple of words, tell you exactly what the mission of the church is. They would look at me and they would say, Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And we say, yep, case closed, we're done. That's the mission for 
the church. But what happens if the person sitting across the aisle for you says, well, I think that it's Mark 10, 45 that says, for the Son of Man came not to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You notice both of these start the exact same way, and yet they have different things about the purpose for which Jesus came. And then we have to ask the question as we look at these is, is to which aspect and to how much are these applicable? Is God's mission for Jesus the exact same as his mission for the church? Are we saying that our mission here is to give our lives as a ransom for many, or is that unique to Jesus? And if some things are unique to him, which things are unique to him? And which things are shared by all of us as Christians? One thing is very clear that the church's job is to be a witness to the mission of Jesus. That we are to witness to the work and to the ministry that he has done. Alan read this morning Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and I think this helps to begin to point us in the right direction. Uh, I think there's a lot more things we need to look at and realize. But we, we recognize this text says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And yet even with this text, there's still more questions, still more things that we have to explore. One of the things that we need to recognize is that there's only one command or imperative in this statement. And that command is to make disciples. There are three participles, which are discussions about how we're going to go about doing this. It is by going, it is by teaching, and it is by baptizing. And the question that we wrestle with today is, which of those aspects and elements are we still doing? Like, like should we all go somewhere else and move somewhere else? I mean, do you think that's exactly what God, all of us have to be going? Well, I don't necessarily think all of us have to be going, because if all of us are going, then all of us are then what? Gone. All right, so we got to figure out exactly what does it mean to be going. And then baptizing is the clearest of all, and then teaching how, how much value. It's like a recipe. You can get all the ingredients right, but if you don't use the right proportions, it is not going to taste very good. Have you ever mixed up salt and put a cup of salt in a cake or something like that? It does not work. And so we recognize that there is weighing to be done, discerning to be done, as we decide what is God's plan for the church. And just to be sure we're on the same page as we speak about mission and mission statement, here's just a few samples of mission statements. Not that I'm saying any of these are thumbs up, thumbs down, but just to begin our thinking process. Making disciples. Know Jesus and make Jesus known. To know, love, and serve God. Reach up, reach out, reach in. To lead people to become fully, devoters, fully devoted followers of Christ. To love God, love the church, love the city, and love the nation. So these are all samples of mission statements that have been derived from a congregation study about the mission of God. The second um, group of words you will likely hear are called vision and vision statement. So we learn that God has a mission and a purpose for the church, universally for the church as a whole. And yet every church has its own way in which it participates in the mission of God. Because churches are uniquely equipped to work towards it in particular ways. So vision is going to help explore the question, where are we going? And what does ministry look like when we are accomplishing the mission in our community? I found these as two kind of helpful statements about vision Vision paints a clear, well-defined target on the wall so that everyone who is part of the ministry organization knows where to direct 
their energies because everyone is seeing the same outcome. Or this one, a vision is a shared, a clear, shared, and compelling picture of the preferred future to which God is calling the congregation. For any of you who those explanations are too wordy, maybe you could use the one that Andy Stanley says, it's just simply clarifying the win. You ever been to a sports game and you have to know there's the scoreboard, I know who's winning, but then there's some sports where there's a bunch of different numbers up there. And what if one person's looking at the scoreboard and they're saying, well, that shows us who's winning and yet they were looking at the wrong numbers. We have to make sure everybody's looking at the same scoreboard and understanding the same things are indicators of winning. So here's how we're gonna differentiate between mission and vision. Mission is more fixed and static. Once you establish this is God's mission for the church, it's not like in five years we're going to say, oh, God has a different mission for the church. But in five years, we may, we may have a different vision for what we are going to do as people who participate in the mission of the church. The mission is God's will for all, whereas the vision is, is specific to us, the Billings Church of Christ. God's mission is broad, but the vision must be very specific. Maybe a way that we could illustrate this is by contrasting the ministries of Peter and Paul. Both, I'm pretty confident, are working towards the mission of God. And Paul, we recognize in his calling, it was said, um, this is in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument, for I have chosen him to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and people of Israel. There is a priority here in that Gentiles appears first. And so Paul recognizing his vision is to do ministry amongst the Gentiles. Or look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I, Paul, had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised. So if we were to arm wrestle about which one is doing the mission of God, I think we'd miss the point, wouldn't we? They both are. But they have a very different vision in terms of what God is calling them to do in their unique context for ministry. One is ministry focusing on the uncircumcised. Another is a ministry focusing on those who have been circumcised. Now, how would we find our vision? I think the vision comes at the intersection of three things. It comes at the intersection of the mission of God, and then next, our collective potential. Do you know that as a congregation, we have unique gifts? We're uniquely equipped in certain ways. There are certain things that if this congregation tried to do, they would probably do it in a terrible, awful way. And then there are other things that we'd probably do in a really good, amazing way because we've been uniquely gifted. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6 says? Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates them all in everyone. We are uniquely equipped. So what, are, what is our equipping? What are our gifts? What are our abilities as a congregation? And then we come then to a, a third point of the intersection, which is our local predicament. What are the needs and opportunities in this congregation? And what are the needs and opportunities in our community? Paul had, uh, tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.3 to honor widows who are really widows. And when I put on my Sherlock Holmes detective cap, I'm going to guess that there's some widows that he's working with. Because you wouldn't give that specific vision to someone wherein there were no widows. And so there's a recognition of a local predicament, and that helps form the ways that ministry is done. So we as a congregation are going to ask, what are the places where these overlap? The mission of God, our, our specific gifting and abilities, and the local 
predicament. And that will help give focus and priorities as we engage in the mission of God. And then the third aspect is the vision path, which answers the question, how will we get there? And that's as simple as it sounds. There's one less step. It's not just to know where you're going, but to have a sense of how we are going to go about getting to that destination. You have a destination, and then you have an idea how you'll get there. So remember, we mentioned earlier, Paul says his unique ministry vision focus is on reaching the Gentiles. And because of that, he has a very specific strategy that he uses to help him with that. In Romans chapter 15, verse 20, Paul says, Thus I make it my ambition to proclaim the good news, not where Christ has already been named, so that I do not build on someone else's foundation. Now, once again, this is a a vision path to a specific vision that's given to some, but not to all. Imagine if every Christian everywhere said, I will not go anywhere where the gospel has been preached. I think that's a great vision for everyone in the church to embrace that exact same vision. It's unique to Paul. And so his pathway to get there is very unique to him. And Paul then shares our decision-making process. There's a strategy for some, but not a strategy for all. Remember we talked about Paul's letter to Timothy. He says, hey, honor those who are really widows. Well, we've got to figure out who are the real widows that we're supposed to be ministering to. So they begin to lay out a strategy. This is the first part of the strategy, 1 Timothy 5.9. Let a widow be put on the list if she is not less than 60 years old and has been married only once, has done good to all, and then the passage goes on. So there's a recognition. If we have a certain kind of vision, we have to have an idea of how we're going to get there. And you have in Scripture this laying out of the vision path. What the vision path is really helpful is to realize as a church, we're going to have a lot of really, really good opportunities. But sometimes if you do so many good things, you neglect to do the great things that you've been called to do. So how do we begin to look at and discern those things? And I think this process might help. Now, I'm going to address three questions that you may have, uh, three reservations that you may be experiencing, and um, hopefully um, the answers may be clear to you. First of all, Isn't drafting a mission statement just simply a way of imitating the world? Some of you have probably been in companies and you say, oh, mission statement, where's the hole? I'm going to crawl into a hole. I want nothing to do with any of this because it seems like maybe we're just copying the world. Two things. One is I hope we've looked at enough scriptures to show mission is in scripture. The idea of the church having a mission is not something that, uh, you know, somebody looked at ExxonMobil and said, oh, we should do that. Mission is fundamental to God's nature in both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, The other thing is that we recognize as a church, we find things that are helpful and valuable, not just things that are, are, are things that others do not do. So in other words, I teach my kids to say please and thank you. Do you know what happens in school? They teach kids to say please and thank you. So do I say, I'm not teaching my kids to say please and thank you because the people of the world teach that. Well, no, we recognize if there are good and valuable things happening in the world, we as Christians are free to participate in them as well. And then somebody might say, won't this just be a waste of time? I mean, is this going to really make a difference? Is it going to actually help us? And I'd say, I understand your concern. I'm not here to offer any guarantees on that process, but I will simply say that we're better off failing while trying to do something than doing nothing, assuming that it won't work. We recognize in the congregational feedback that we do need to try to find something that that is cohesive for us as a church, something that is is a focused mission. And so at the very least, the process itself will be valuable. And we're going through the process trusting that God will be able to teach us something and use us. Or the third concern may be, I like what we're trying to do, but I just think we're approaching it the wrong way. Well, here's the good news. 
on the piece of paper that you got there, we had this first two weeks, which is just identifying where we're going and giving time for, guess what? Feedback. So the beauty is that there's nobody in, in leadership who is saying, you know what, these three people or these four people know everything that needs to happen, so you guys just trust us because we know where we're going. From the forefront, we're saying we have never been here before. We're trying to go somewhere that we've never led. And the only way this is going to be successful is if people take ownership and give feedback. So there's two weeks to say, hey, I love the idea, but what if we tried this? You also notice it was the tentative congregational direction roadmap because we reserve the right to say maybe we're not heading exactly where we need to be heading. So we invite you to give feedback. Now, at the start of the sermon, I mentioned the possibility that group of people can fall victim to the Abilene paradox. But I think if we go through this process, we will find that we will have some very clear and open understandings about exactly what God has in store for us. Does that mean everybody's going to think that we all need to head the exact same direction? Probably not. But through these conversations, we're going to get a better sense of God's compelling direction for this congregation. And I want to just remind you as we finish that Scripture paints a really clear picture of the kind of possibilities that happen when a group of people can get on the same page and head in the same direction. First is a negative example coming out of Genesis chapter 11. You've probably heard the story of the Tower of Babel, right? And there's this recognition that the whole earth had one language and the same words. There was a sense of unity. And what did they decide to do with that unity? They decided we're gonna build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. And eventually God intervenes. And God says, look, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do from now on will be impossible for them. And so what does God do? He confuses the language, and the people scatter. It's not that God is threatened or intimidated when people come together for a mission. The concern is when people come together to build a name for themselves rather than when they come together for the purposes and the glory of God. After Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, he appears to many. You have the the first gospel preaching that begins to happen in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice what happens here. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Do you notice anything in relationship about Babel? Which Babel was taking this unified effort and spreading it and diversifying it. And yet, in the mission of the church, we have the coming together of common speech and language. Now, there's a language barrier, and there's one of two ways to understand it. Acts chapter 2, verse 6 says that, in some ways, insinuates the gift of hearing. So it's the gift of speaking or the gift of hearing. But the key thing is that God wants us to then be unified so that we can do what again? Just like in Babel, we can scatter. But this time, not scatter so that we can abandon the mission, but scatter so that we might fulfill the mission. And it is a recognition that God brings people into a place of consensus and unity, of one language, of one heart, of one mind, in order that we might go about doing God's work. And so my prayer is as we enter into this process that it will bring us to a sense of oneness. Because there is recognition that people who are united in what they're doing for a unified purpose, that there is an awful lot of potential for what God can do in the midst of a people who are one. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious towards you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And we are people who have been equipped by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ 
by the love of God and by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I will be in the back. Some of our elders will be in the back. If you want somebody to pray with you this morning, if you want to talk about where you are in your life of faith, I'd invite you to come uh, into the back while together we stand and sing this next song.